Okay, we are entering into a third, I think this is the fourth section of Proverbs. We're in Lesson 35. Uh, these are a, a fourth section. We're going to still find them in Chapter 25. And these go up to Chapter 29. So we're winding down through the book here. We're going to look at this fourth section. So I want you to notice with me, the very first verse there in chapter 25 tells us about this fourth section. So let me just go ahead and point, put the point up on the board. Let's look, read the verse first, and then I'll point the, put the point up. These are Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. Okay, so here's the first point. This section contains Solomon's Proverbs that were collected by Hezekiah's scribes. These are Proverbs that Solomon had written that his grandson, way on down the line, had his scribes had compiled them and added them to these other Proverbs that we have already. So these were written by Solomon, but they were compiled by Hezekiah, who was king of the southern kingdom by that point, by his grandson's scribes, or great-great-great-grandson scribes, okay? So these were written by Solomon. Now, let me just point something out to you. We know from Scripture that Solomon wrote many, many Proverbs. So yes, we have the book of Proverbs, but it does that, do you think the book of Proverbs basically is all the Proverbs that he wrote? No, probably not. He, he wrote thousands of them, because he was, a, he was the wisest man in the world. So, here they are, they're adding some to these, and so these were compiled by the men of Hezekiah. So, let's notice what these Proverbs are, and that's where we're going to spend the next few weeks looking at these Proverbs by Solomon that were compiled by Hezekiah's men. First of all, look at verse 2, the issue of providence. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search out a matter. Here's what I want you to see. This is a great point that you and I need to understand. First of all, God has chosen not to reveal everything about himself and his plans. God has chosen not to reveal everything about himself and his plans. See, here's the point. As you think about your personal life right now, a lot of times... I hope you're like this. I hope you are like where you are like you want to see. Well, I'll give you an example. If you read the life of Corey Tinboom, how many of you know who Corey Tinboom is? If you read the life of Corey Tinboom, at the end of her life, there was something that she wanted from God, and she wanted to see God's glory. Now, how many? And the only other person I know of who wanted to see God's glory was who? Moses. You talk about somebody who had a walk with God. Corey Tinboom had a walk with God. She wanted to see God's glory. And I think if you read her biography that she may have seen it. God may have shown it to her towards the end of her life. But the point I want you to see is, is, is that the kind of, kind of thing that's going on in your spiritual walk where you are wanting to see more and more of God? I can remember as a student at Liberty University being frustrated with my relationship with Jesus because I wanted to see more and more of him. More and more of him. So much so that I went to one of the pastors that I worked for, 
And I said to him, man, I'm just so frustrated in my spiritual life. I just want to, you know, and here's what he said to me, and this was very profound, and this is what the Proverbs is saying. He said, God will only reveal to you what he wants to reveal to you. And as much of himself as he wants to reveal to you. And what you can handle. See, a lot of you, how many of you are asking God to give you, tell you what's going to happen in the future as far as your, as far as your lives? You want to know. Lord, show me what's going to happen. To be honest, nobody wants to raise their hand. Am I the only one? Okay. All right. All of us now. Okay. Now we're, we're laughing and nodding. Okay. This verse tells you that God has the prerogative not to show you. I'll be honest with you. God in His mercy doesn't show you. Isn't that true? Isn't it merciful God who will not show you what the future is? So God is the one who will hide a matter. But now I want you to notice the converse of that we see in this verse is this. In order to make proper decisions, kings must investigate matters fully. So here he's saying it's God who hides, doesn't reveal his plans or everything, but notice the last part of that verse. Notice what it says there. But the glory of kings is to search out the matter. The glory of kings. Now, what do you think that means? The glory of kings is to search out a matter. Why do you think that that would be glorious for a king to search out a matter? Okay, it shows his wisdom, maybe reveals some of his wisdom, Bruce says. What else? All right, let's contrast that. Let's contrast that. Let's say I'm going to have two kings here. I'm going to have Rod as a king and Ken as a king. All right? King Ken and King Rob. All right. Now, I want you to think about it for a moment. Here's Ken. Decisions come his way. He makes immediate decisions. He doesn't even, he doesn't even think about it. He just says, okay, this is the way it's going to be. This is the way it's going to be. King Rob, though, decisions come his way. He takes some time. He, he, is, he consults counselors. He looks, investigates the situation. Then he makes a decision. Who would you rather have as king? As a general statement, who would you rather have? Not, you know, I mean, yeah, one who's going to think through it, investigate it, and whatever. You know, so King Ken, I'm sorry, they're going to leave your country and go to Rob's country, okay? Because they heard he's a man of wisdom. See, that's the point. The glory of a king is to what? Investigate fully, not make rash decisions. You understand? Not make rash decisions. Okay, now look now. A lot of these proverbs actually have to do with kings for a moment. So you kind of understand these were compiled by Hezekiah's scribes. So you can see why they compiled them this way. Because they are reflective under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit about leadership. About leadership. So look with me now at verse 3 of chapter 25. You're going to see something here concerning Again, kings, look at what it says. As the heavens for the height and the earth for the depth, so the heart of a king is unsearchable. So the heart of a king is unsearchable. Here's the point. Rulers, with their responsibilities, need not reveal everything they know. Rulers, with their responsibilities, need not reveal everything they know. In fact, that's, that, that's a key point in leadership right there. Is you don't have to reveal everything you know because it could come back to haunt you later. 
Because people can't handle it. How many remember the story of Joseph? He was a dreamer, right? A visionary. What kind of dreams did Joseph have? Think about it. Before he was put in prison, before he was sold into slavery, what kind of visions did he have? Yeah, his brothers would bow down to him. Not just his brothers, but who else? He had his father, yes. Okay, now, how did they react to that vision? He, he shared that out of his immaturity. He shared that vision. They didn't respond well, did they? They threw him in the pit then. And, and that's so true, isn't it? And what was the thing there? He should have kept some things to him. You see, that's the point that he's making here. A ruler, with, with, with their responsibility, need not reveal everything they know. That's the point of leadership here. Okay, look now at verses 4 and 5. We're going to look at the issue of stability. Take away the dross from silver, and it will go to the silversmith for jewelry. Take away the wicked from before the king, and his throne will be established in righteousness. Now here, here's the point. This is the issue of stability. Just as dross is removed from silver, so wicked are to be removed. The wicked, it should be the wicked, are to be removed from the king. All right? Now, here's the point I want you to see. Let me ask you something. When you pray for your president, or when you pray for your governor, or when you pray for your congressman, first of all, I hope you're praying for those folks. Let me just say that. I hope you're praying for those folks. No matter what party they're from, I hope you're praying for them. Because it's a biblical command. All the way in Timothy, it tells us to lift up kings. Now, when he's writing that and telling them that, he's already been put in prison by kings. Everybody understand me? So he's telling us to pray for kings. So when you're praying for kings, how are you praying for them? Are you praying that God would put godly counselors around them? Are you praying that not just that he would put godly counselors around them, but are you praying that he would remove wicked counselors from around them? You see my point? This is the whole point here. See, stability, stability in a nation is the removal of wicked counselors from the king. See, the Proverbs will give you a guide to how you need to be praying for your leaders. You need to pray that they have what? Godly counsel around them. Remove the wicked from around them. Because listen, let me be honest with you. What's the key characteristic of the wicked? Besides that they're wicked. Who are they out for? They're going to be out for themselves. So when they're influencing a king, their influence on a king is for who? Themselves. Not for who? Not for everybody else at all, is it? See, so you and I need to be praying for godly counsel. Godly counsel around our leaders, okay? For stability. Now look at verses 6 and 7. We're going to see the issue of humility now. Do not exalt yourself in the presence of the king, and do not stand in the place of the great. For it is better that that he said to you, come up here, than that you should be put lower in the presence of the of the prince whom your eyes have seen. Now here, here's here's the point I want you to see. It is wiser to wait to be promoted than be demoted by self-promotion. You understand what he's talking about here? 
when you're going before, let's let's take a move it from the from the issue of the king. When you're when you're maybe with your boss or whatever, it's better for you to walk in humility than make yourself out to be something that you're not. Because if you make yourself out to be something that you're not, and it's found out later, you'll be demoted. And so let me ask you something. Here's the point of the Proverbs. Here's what Solomon is saying. It is better for you to be humble and raised up, promoted, than for you to be proud, make yourself out to be something else, than to be demoted in the the sight of everyone. Which would you rather be? Promoted in the sight of everyone? Or demoted? Who can handle the demotion? Anybody? Who can handle it? Can anybody handle it? How embarrassing is it if you make... In fact, think about it. There is a story that comes out of Washington, D.C. about an ambassador to one of our countries. Listen to this. An ambassador. When he died, they buried him in Arlington Cemetery. Everybody knows what Arlington Cemetery is. That is, that is where, our, our, where our men and women who have served in the armed forces, they, they, they can be buried in the National Cemetery. He was buried in the National Cemetery because here he was, he was an, an ambassador to one of the foreign nations, but in his resume he, he stated that he had served during World War II in the U.S. Navy. So because of that, they buried him in a grave in Arlington Cemetery. Problem was, Somebody did some investigating on his background and found out that he didn't serve in the Navy during World War II. He was in the Merchant Marine. So guess what they did? They dug his body out of Arlington because he didn't deserve to be there. Only those who deserve to be there should be there. Now, think about the embarrassment that is to his family. See, this is what Solomon is talking about here. It is better for you to be humble and be promoted than for you to be prideful and lift yourself up and then what? Be demoted. Because that's really embarrassing, isn't it? That's really embarrassing. And we we could talk, talk about countless stories like that. If you look at the news lately, there's a rash of college professors, college presidents who are having to resign because they what? On their resumes. They lied about their credentials. It's like, hello, didn't somebody check it out before they got that high? You know? But think about the embarrassment now. Is, does that end their career? Yeah, it sure does. That's the whole point of the Proverbs here. It's better for you and I to be humble and then be lifted up than to promote ourselves and then be demoted. Okay, so let's go on now. The issue of speech. Look at verse 8. Do not go hastily to court. For what will you do in the end when your neighbor has put you to shame? Okay, here's the point. One must not be eager to testify lest he be put to shame publicly. This is a great proverb for our culture today because our culture today, if, 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 if Jack does me wrong, what's the key word? Sue. I'll just sue him. 
We'll have our day in court. This is the point he's saying. Don't be so hasty. If you've got a dispute with your neighbor, you want to just say, well, I'm just going to take him to court. And then end up being put to shame there in court. See, here's the whole point. The point is that you've got to quit being hasty. Because when I say, like, Bruce does me wrong, well, I'm just going to sue you, Bruce. What's that, a re- what's that show about me? Am I in control of myself? Have I sought it through? Have I thought it through? No. I'm being hasty. I'm thinking about myself. There's no opportunity for us to work it out. So then, that's exactly right. And that's the point of the proverb. Then go to the court and be found out that I'm wrong. Now what happens? I found out I'm wrong, so I'm shamed. What does that do for my relationship with Bruce, my neighbor? Are we going to talk to each other now? No, isn't that true? Isn't that what we see that happening all around us, don't we? Neighbors who will not talk to each other for years. That's the whole point of the Proverbs here. And so that we see that area there of speech. Now look, at the, it, it goes right into verse 9 and 10 in the issue of quarrels. Look at what it says, verse 9 and 10. Debate your case with your neighbor and do not disclose the secret to another. Lest he who hears it expose your shame and your reputation is ruined. Now, here's the point. It's best to keep personal quarrels private to avoid public shame. Let me, let me just be honest with you. This is a great verse. You want to put a star by that verse? Go ahead. Here's the point that he's making here. Let's go back to Bruce and I. Bruce and I are in a quarrel. And Proverbs is saying that even as we work it out, that needs to be between who? Bruce and I. Now, here's what happens, though, and, and, and let's be honest, let's be honest, this does happen because we do it. We don't keep it private. So, Bruce tells Rod, I tell Rob, Bruce tells Ken, I tell Jack, Bruce tells Lou, I tell Sam in the back. And every time I tell it, guess what happens every time I tell it? I'm adding to it or taking away. I'm leaving some things out. What kind of things am I leaving out? About who? About me. I'm adding some things. Like, I'm talking about Bruce's motives now. I'm talking about this is what he was thinking. Do I know what he's thinking? Do I know what his motives are? So then guess what happens now? How many people are involved in the argument? Well, first to start out with two, we've each talked to three. There's now eight. Yes. And then are they going to tell it exactly the way I say it? No, they're either going to give a short story or they're going to give a long story, but it's not going to be the same story. So then, here's what happens. Who is shamed then? Who receives the shame? Me. Bruce. Because the issue should have been kept what? Private. Private. 
you know, private. Here, here's a here's a mistake young couples make all the time. When a couple gets married, they're more than likely going to have what happened in their marriage. Conflict. So they're conflicting now. And so when they get with other people, and, 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 and guess what happens? Because it's natural. They're going to discuss what? So if I'm working for Rod, and I duke it out with Lori at home, and we're working together, and we're on a roof maybe. I won't be on a roof, but Rod's on the roof, and I'm, I'm, I'm throwing stuff up to him. I'm talking about what happened the night before with Lori, with Rod. And whose perspective am I sharing? Now, here's Lori. She's going to call. Let me pick a lady here. She's going to call Diana. And she's going to say, oh, yeah, George and I had a... And, and she's going to get, uh, give Diana whose perspective? Hers. Now, here's what happens. Rod develops an attitude towards who? Because he knows Jordan's a good guy. Okay? Diana's going to develop an attitude towards me because she's listened to the wrong information from Lori. You know, because Rod's okay. He knows. Yeah, his wife. He knows I'm a good guy. Okay? You see the mistake that happens with younger couples? But here's what happens. And a lot of times they'll do it with their families. They'll do it with their families. Who's a natural before that marriage started, their family structure was who? Their parents. So they're discussing things with their family and they're making their spouse look bad. And it's just a normal what? Yeah, it's just a normal conflict that happens in marriage. And so now, daddy-in-law has an attitude towards, yeah. Mom-in-law has an attitude towards, did you see what I'm saying? Do you see how this stuff happens? This is the point that he's making. It's best to keep personal quarrels, what, private to avoid public shame. To avoid public shame. That's the issue of the Proverbs here. And it's not just the issue like in a marriage, but it's the issue in general. Listen, that's why, can I be honest with you, when you look at Matthew 18, let's bring that all the way over to Matthew 18. When Jesus gives us a structure for how to handle offenses, he says that, let's say Bruce does me wrong, I'm to go to Bruce and try to work it out. Now, if Bruce and I work it out, where does it, does it end there? No. Now, if Bruce and I don't work it out, I'm to take another person with me as a witness. And then try to work it out with Bruce. Now, if it, Bruce and I work it out then with a witness, a mediator or whatever, there's an end there. Yes. But if it doesn't, then you take it one step further. What we want to do with stuff is immediately skip all those other steps and get into the big discussion with everybody else about it. And let's be honest. Let's just go ahead and be honest about human nature. The reason why I would talk to Rod while he's up on the roof and I'm down at the bottom of the ladder is because I want to justify who. And I need somebody who will what? Agree with me. So then when I come home and talk to Lori again and we pick up in round two of the discussion, I can say, well, I was talking with Rod today. 
what's Rod got to do with it? Rod's got nothing to do with it, but isn't that what we do? I was talking with my mother today. Isn't that what we do? You talk to your mother about that? You see my point. That, that's the point that Solomon is making here. That's a great point for you and I to, to, to see here. Look now at the issue, verse 11 and 12. We're going to look at the issue of speech again. A word fittedly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver, like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold, is, is a wise rebuker to an obedient ear. Here's what I want you to see. First of all, an appropriate and properly timed word can be attractive and valuable. An appropriate and a properly timed word, so a word that's been given at a proper time, is attractive and valuable. It's like, notice what it said, it's like fine gold set in silver. How many of you would like that? I would. It's like that. That's what a properly timed word is like. That's the whole point he's making here, is when you and I speak, don't be so hasty to speak, just, just blah, give all the words out. In fact, how many, have you noticed, I know in my life that I have a great respect for men who are quiet, and then at the right moment they speak, and then what they say, it's like, wow, that was good. That's what he's talking about here. That's what he's talking about. In fact, the next point I want you to see here is this. A rebuke that is properly received is of lasting value. So, on one hand, I need to be the kind of person who is reserved in my speaking, but speaks great words at great moments. But on the other hand, Solomon is saying that I need to be the kind of person who is willing to take a rebuke. And that if I take a rebuke and learn from it, that is far value, far more valuable than an ornament, an earring of gold. But, but the point is, I want you to see, it's, it's, what it's talking about here is far more valuable is that you and I are what? Teachable people. Teachable people. That you be teachable. Alright? So that's the whole issue. Let me ask you a question. Ask this to yourself. And if you dare take it one step further, first of all, ask yourself, am I teachable? That would be a good assignment for you this week. Are you teachable? Are you willing to have somebody say to you, you know what, you need to change something here? Now, the problem, why I'm asking you to take it one step further. Now, this is dangerous. This is dangerous. Some of you may not want to do this. That's right, Art. Ask your spouse, are you teachable? Ooh. Now, that will reveal whether or not you're teachable. Because if they say to you, no, what do you mean, no? What did you just say? Show. You're not what? Teachable. That's dangerous. I don't know that I'm going to do that, George. That's fine. All right, look, uh, look now at verse 13, the issue of faithfulness. Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him, for he refreshes the soul of his masters. Here's the point I want you to see. 
a faithful messenger lifts the spirits of those who sent him. A faithful messenger lifts the spirits of those who sent him. You know, basically, like the coldest snow in the time of harvest, there must be something refreshing about that. That's the whole point, is that the, a faithful messenger brings, whatever he brings, it's a refreshing message. All right, look now at verse 14 and 15. We're going to look again at the issue of speech. Whoever falsely boasts of giving is like clouds and wind without rain. By long forbearance, a ruler is persuaded, and a gentle tongue breaks a bone. So here's the first point I want you to see. The promises of a braggart are empty and worthless. Now, I want you to notice something here. He is talking about the whole issue of promotion again here, but especially with your words. Whoever falsely boasts of giving is like clouds of wind without rain. You ever had a period of drought? We've had droughts around here before. And we just needed water. We just needed rain. And you see the big clouds up there and you think, oh, man, clouds. And you feel the wind. And then because of some mountain, it gets bypassed from where you are. How are you feeling? You wanted rain for your garden. You got nothing. How are you feeling? Pretty disappointed, aren't you? See, that's the point of what he's making here. It's, and, and I've seen this happen. I have a friend who pastors a church. He tells me that on any given Sunday, when they're counting the offering in their church, it doesn't happen in this church, thankfully. I don't think it does. Hopefully it doesn't. They use little envelopes with nothing on the outside. And they got about, probably got 200 people in the church, country church. And when the offering plate goes around, everybody's putting envelopes in. So when they're counting in the back, Almost always, they'll have three or four envelopes that are completely empty. Now, I'm sitting here thinking, why? Why do you have that? Somebody forget. There was a point. What were those people doing when they put an empty envelope in? What were they doing? Well, saving face is what Bruce said. And that church is a giving church. They give... A third of their budget went to missions. A third of their budget. So when you talk about a church like that, and it's always a giving church, you got five, four, you know, three or four envelopes that are empty. What's that saying about that person? Yeah, well, they're lying. Okay, you said it. They're lying, and that's what he's saying here. A person who brags about giving is like clouds and wind with no rain. And that's the point here. The promises of a braggart, they're, they're saying, oh, I'm giving. I gave. And, you know, never mark anything on the apps. Who's that from? I don't know. That's the whole point here. Now, let me ask you a question. In that instance, because giving is an act of worship, who knows? I mean, accounters obviously don't know. Who knows? God knows. What's that say about their view of God? They don't believe He knows. It says something about their spiritual life, doesn't it? See, the whole point of what you see here is the promises of a braggart are worthless and empty. They're worthless. How many of you know people who brag about, oh, I could, you know, in this situation, I could just do this and I know I could, and then when that situation comes up, what do they do? Nothing. 
In fact, you'll even go to him. Let's say Bruce is my braggart here. He says, you can count on me anytime. The situation, I've done there. But, hey, Bruce, we're facing that situation. What do you think we should do? I don't know. Well, didn't you tell me that we... Yeah, but that was a different situation, George. What is that going to say to me about Bruce? Can't trust him, can I? You know? He sure did look good. But when the rubber meets the road, he didn't have anything to produce. He didn't have anything to give. Now, look now at verse 15 there. It's going to say this about patient and mild speech. Common patient speech can break down insurmountable opposition. Again, the Proverbs earlier told us about a soft answer turning away what? Wrath. Here's the whole point I want you to see now, is that common patient speech will break down insurmountable opposition. So let's say, Bruce and I, let's get back to our conflict. Bruce and I are conflicting. How far are we going to get if I'm yelling at him? If I'm out of control and an emotion? Are we going to settle anything here? Are we? But what if we're calm? Or we're patient with each other? What will happen if we're calm with each other and talk things through in a patient way, more so than yelling at each other? What's our tendency to do is what? Yell at each other. Now, let's go on the issue of moderation. Verse 16 and 17. Have you found honey? Eat only as much as you need, lest you be filled with it and vomit. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house, lest he become weary with you and hate you. Now, here's the point. First of all, the issue of moderation. Overindulgence can become distasteful. That's where we're at today in our nation, isn't it? Overindulgence. Overindulgence. And, in fact, it's pretty distasteful to be so full that you've got to vomit. Isn't it? All right, now, here's the next point. Now, this is an interesting one. Do not wear out your welcome with frequent visits. How many of you have had somebody like that? Get the point where you have had somebody, and they're, you know, you, you make friends with somebody, you've got a neighbor, and you say, oh, well, you know, here's what we'll say. Oh, we can come over anytime. Now, do we really mean it when we say you can come over anytime? Call first, okay? But you have some individuals who will take you up literally on that, and they'll, and they'll say, Oh, well, oh, well, Lou and Betty said, I can come over anytime. So guess what? I'm there every day. Yes, for breakfast, dinner, supper. What are we having for breakfast tomorrow, Lou? Now, listen to what Proverbs says. Lest he become weary of you, and what? Now, let me ask you a question. Does that happen? If you have an individual who takes, and this is about taking advantage, moderation of you imposing yourself. If you're constantly, if you've got somebody who's, I'll, I'll use it this way, if you've got somebody who's constantly coming to you, wanting something from you, every time they call, the only time they call is because they want what? Something. They don't call to chit-chat, they call to want something. Or they come over at the most inconvenient times because they know they can, what? Come over. Because you told them, come over anytime, even though you didn't mean it. 
What happens to you? What do you begin to feel about that person? Do you begin to feel like, oh, I really like that person? I just wish they would come over more often. I'm looking forward to the next phone call that they're going to make where they're going to ask me for something else. What do they want more from me? Okay. But you know what? Caller ID is only new in the last 15 years. What did we do before caller ID? <laughs> okay. Well, here's, here, how are you feeling about that individual? You become what? The Proverbs is correct in it. You become weary of them. And it's like, Mommy, it's so-and-so. Then you start doing things like, tell them I'm not here. I just told them you were here. Oh! And you begin to what? Hate them. Now, the perspective of Proverbs is for you and I not to do that to others. Not to do that to others. Let's go on now. Let's, we're going to look at, look, first of all, verse 18, the issue of false witnesses. Notice what it says there. A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a club, a sword, and a sharp arrow. Here's the point. Giving false testimony against a neighbor can wound a person's character as weapons. I think here's the point. Here's the point Proverbs is making. It's one thing to have somebody on the street make a false accusation against us. But when it's your neighbor, that hurts, doesn't it? When it's your neighbor, that hurts. Okay, let's go on now. Look at the issue of character, verse 19. Confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. First of all, how many of you have had bad teeth where you've had a toothache that you just wished, I mean, you just wanted some kind of relief? How many of you have had a tooth like that? All right, now here's what it's saying. An unfaithful person is useless and painful, like a toothache. That's what an unfaithful person is like. Okay, now we've got just a few more verses here. Look at verses 20 through 22. Like one who takes away a garment in cold weather and like vinegar on soda is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For so you will heap coals of fire on his head and the Lord will reward you. Okay, here's the point I want you to see. First of all, inappropriate conduct. Being insensitive and unsympathetic does much harm. So let's say, I'll use a light-humored one. Let's say, let's say uh, Mike has cows again. And he's got this one cow that he just loves. We'll call her Old Bessie. And Old Bessie dies. She literally kicks the bucket. Now, he's feeling pretty sad. Now, here I come, old George, and I'm going to try and... Well, you know, there's other cows in the world. That one will probably taste good, too. How's he feeling? He loved that cow. That was the best milking cow he had. How's he feel? How's he feel when I tell him that? Hurt. Do you think he's going to be mad at me? Listen, can I be honest with you? When, when and there will, and even in our church, when there are people who are going through stuff, and we have people who are going through stuff right now, you got to be careful what you say to them. 
And if you don't know what to say, there's the best rule. Don't say anything, because if you try to say something, it may be inappropriate, and what? Reflect, yeah, hurtful to them and reflect badly on you. That's the whole point that we're talking about here. Okay, look now, kindness to enemies. People who treat their enemies with kindness will bring remorse to them. You've got an enemy? Do good to them. What? It says it's like keeping a hot coals on their head. It'll bring shame to them. Even in spite of the fact of what they're doing to you, you return good to them for their evil, it will bring shame to them. All right, now let's look at verse 23, our last verse here for our section today, the issue of speech. The north wind brings forth rain and a backbiting tongue and angry countenance. Here's the point. Sly words will bring an angry response. Let me ask you something. Last time somebody backbited you, how did you respond? Oh, that was so wonderful. Is that what you felt? What did you want to do to them? Slap them. Right? Now, where did that come from? Out of your kind, calm, gentle spirit? It came out of your anger. Why? Because somebody who backbites sly words will what? Will bring an angry response. That's the whole point here. Okay, let's close our time in prayer.